0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for podcast. Sure, we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. Now I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we're gonna to be taking a look at X-Men Trial of Magneto number four, new mutants 23, and Sword 10. But before that, there has been a major announcement about the X-Men's second great Krakoan age, and that is, of course, the announcement of Destiny of X. We're going to be covering this incredible new era in great depth, and they've already announced that starting in Spring 2022, we're going to be looking at a list of incredibly exciting title teases. We have Immortal X-Men, Marauders, X-Force, Knights of X, X X-Men, Legion of X, Wolverine, New Mutants, and X-Men Red. And now while some things have been revealed, there's still certainly some spots in the creative lineups that we're not quite sure about. And there are some incredibly tempting things in this image, whether it is the clear indication that Legion of X is going to be the Legionnaires book, or a number of the characters who we've been waiting to see make a grand return to the pages of X-Men, including my unfortunately precious Deadpool. Sorry about it, guys, I know. But the number of other characters that it is so exciting to see on Krakoa, or at least involved in this new phase of X Men, is very exciting. Madeline Pryor potentially getting her due after all of this time. Forge, who we have long called for to be much more front and center. Bay smiling as much as Bay can quite smile in this incredible image by Lionel Francis Yu and Sonny Go. It's going to be such an incredible time for the X Men going forward, and we can't wait here at X is for podcast to bring you every part of it. Now, onto to the coverage of the books that are actually out now. Trial of Magneto has been such a commanding idea in the X-Sphere, and I don't know if it's the number of things that sort of have out-of-sequenced it in a complicated way that makes it so difficult to discuss. When I think about the fact that Magneto was clearly on the Destiny of X image, when we knew that he was clearly a large part in Inferno, it really did. Leo. Williams and Lucas Wernick's story a disservice, though we have commented repeatedly since the series has begun that it seems to be a little bit less on a trial for Magneto and much more on a bigger picture reshaping of the identity of the Scarlet Witch in the scope of the Marvel Universe itself. We're certainly very excited to see where it's going to go, and we hope you guys enjoy this next segment as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you guys like what you hear, don't forget, you'll probably even like what you see, so give us a check out over on Twitter and YouTube, at x is for podcast hey everybody welcome back to x is for podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic and marvels hey this one has all three week after week through their many monthly titles i'm nico and you guys can catch me on twitter and instagram at nico action now that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n
1: i'm kyle you can find me on twitter and instagram at drantis82 D R A N T I S 82. hello i'm raven aka
0: dame
2: red bento uh r Wait, no, yeah, no, wait. I can spell, I can do this. I believe in you. (laughs) M E That makes one of us. (laughs) R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. Yay. Come find me.
3: (laughs) And I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike Wanda's murderer in the next issue, as well as the kaiju in this issue that went down without pretty much a lot of fanfare after a certain moment.
0: So that does mean that we are here to talk about X-Men. The Trial of Magneto. Number four, (laughs) which you can be sure I'm going to stylize by replacing a lot of letters with the number four. It's going to be like an H is a four some of the a's are gonna be fours i'm gonna have way too much fun with this one now this issue was brought to us by the incredibly talented team of leah williams on writing lucas Wernick and david messina on art with edgar delgados bringing us beautiful vibrant colors across all the pages vcs clayton cowles giving us letters with tom muller on design as well as john hickman the head of x so this issue saw a sort of You know, where's Steve? 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 (laughs) I, cause, you know, I, he's, you know, Mayan Raven's magic buddy. And this issue really feels, in many ways, kind of like a distillation of a lot of the understanding of Maiden Mother Crone through (laughs) classic interpretations, well, neoclassic interpretations of paganism, you know, a really centered on the singular identity of the triptych idea. And, you know, There's a lot of numerology throughout this book, uh, but I think we can really sort of focus on this idea of three identities in one Scarlet Witch Mm -hmm. and the multifaceted angles by which it actually creates the context of the situation. We have the Scarlet Witch, the classic Scarlet Witch who brings in the X-Men. We had the modern Scarlet Witch who sort of brings in the Avengers. And we had the future Scarlet Witch who represents this sort of wife factor in the same way the kaiju even though they were caused by the general wanda kind of caused you know there's a an element to it where it all sort of pieces together a lot of groups of three we also have a number of representations of five and more from there but before we can get into all of that nonsense kyle you're someone who has always shown a deftness and caring for characters like wanda characters who have been misused and mistreated over the decades and i feel as though this is your first real opportunity to sink your teeth into like Juanda. How does it feel <laughs> getting to know because you have to get really wide on it, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's like a yes. on it. Wah. So Wanda <laughs> she uh I feel like in Mario Tennis, she and Wario could be uh, <laughs> Wanda and Wario. So, how does it. Yeah, save me.
2: It's me, Wanda.
0: <laughs> She's the princess for Wario and Waluigi. It's Wanda Maximoff, fan artist. Brace us. Oh, oh. oh, good lord. Oh,
1: my goodness. Oh. <laughs> so. I still feel like we're not getting the full picture on Wanda here. I mean, we're getting this old woman Wanda explaining things to, I think, present day Wanda. But at the same time, we also have everybody else putting Wanda through their lens. And it's it's not just the, the telepaths, it's her kids. I don't feel that we get a good picture of who the real Wanda is if that makes
2: sense oh Oh, no that that makes a ton of sense that makes absolute sense because honestly i kind of feel the same way like like i want to a i want to like this book so much but b it has nothing to do with magneto at all like seriously (laughs) like i'm still i'm still waiting for his trial because what the shit
1: yeah i (sighs) i It it feels like another uh, Ten of Swords where they promise one thing and we get another thing. I'm hoping that we do get a reveal in the next issue, but I mean, this is, this is what? Issue three? This is four Four. of five. This is four. Um, Of five. I I feel like we've kind of been spinning wheels Mm -hmm. for the
0: last three issues. Mm -hmm. Now Raven, you said you had agreed with Kyle's perspective, and I want to know, what is it personally you feel you're not getting of Wanda from this? Because I do agree. I- can't find the Magneto, and I wonder if that's going to come up later, but I do feel like maybe my Wanda is here, and I would love to hear more from people who aren't seeing a Wanda at all to connect with.
2: So, uh, just to give perspective, I grew up with um, Scarlet Witch in the, like, 90s, early 2000s, when she was on West Coast Avengers and Avengers, and she was this amazingly complex, powerful force to reckon with. I mean, yes, at the time it's like oh she's a mutant who has just incredibly like omega level powers and we were just barely grazing uh uh, the surface of her actually being magically imbued but like they keep giving us these beautiful little like the opening not a mandala but that that circular writing they have these beautiful deep openings and then when they get into it they the way she's portrayed is practically a baby like oh i don't know what's going on oh no i i it's, it's all fuzzy I just like I'm not I'm not feeling this character who has a deep amount of conflict you know who has a lot of emotions who is holding this great responsibility and power who is deeply entrenched in 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 magic in power in being able to manipulate the reality around her she just seems like a baby all the time and I'm like this is this is nothing like the Wanda I used to know you're not
0: a witch you're a Baby,
2: pretty much. I'm like, they have they have a great story outline set up where you could really delve into her chaos magic and how you know she's basically screwing with reality and time and you know she's built she built a freaking eldritch orchard. Like, what the shit? And like, they're not touching on the magic of it or the chaos of it. Like, this should honestly be you know the trial of Scarlet which i am dead serious about that because it focuses so much on her and who she is supposed to be as a person and the power that she must embrace as well as the 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 doubt the self-doubt she must overcome and and how that doubt and and power when they play together creates horrible horrible things but there <laughs> it, i'm not getting any of that and it's starting to really stress me out cuz there's only five issues to this and and yeah it's like they promised me one thing they're handing me another but they're not they're not really taking a bite of the apple it's just it It feels like I'm being it feels like I'm being catfished here but not in a good way at all so I'm just I'm sitting here going okay pause so we're, yeah, pause yes. okay. what's the
0: good way to get catfished
2: like if somebody you see has like a little bit of makeup on you're like oh okay and then they put a lot of makeup on you're like damn you a drag okay. queen that is like oh okay that's that's like it could call that getting filled fished okay <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's actually a better, better explanation for it. But yeah, like it, they handed me something that looks beautiful with these gorgeous covers and these really mystic kind of intros and whatnot. But then they don't f- really follow through on the mysticism, on the paganism, on her chaos magic, on the Eldritch Orchard, or or even her elder self. It's like, give me something more. Also, change her freaking outfit in the future. I get that these are all supposed oh, to. Odd, yes. uh, uh, you know, little pieces of herself, but they're all wearing the same, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, the same tired outfit. And if you're going to change as a person, change the clothing, give me something more. I want to see a more realized old Wanda who has gone through trials, who has lived lifetime upon lifetime, who has really become centered in her past power and just giving her the same you know i put my face through a book headdress and and you know body suit i'm just like mm, really we, we couldn't we couldn't upgrade this we couldn't put some runic symbols on it or make make it look like it's been touched by wild magic or a chaos magic which is very much a core of her person like give me something more or don't give it to me at all because right now it feels like i'm eating a rice cake shaped like an apple
0: jonah how do you feel about wanda's rice cake Cake shaped like an apple what is your relationship with both this iteration of Wanda
3: and what's going on in this title so we talked about this with the last issue where uh, I think Kyle would agree. I aptly compared this to the situation with Nintendo where they called the Wii U, the Wii U, and it would have done a lot better had they not called it that because it caused too much confusion where people didn't know. Was this an add on to the existing Wii? Was this a new system? None of it makes sense, especially because, you know, very thankfully it was back compatible with Wii games, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're, conf- you're confusing your uh, customers. This book, I don't think is delivering on the trial of Magneto more so, again, I think this book should have just been called The Death of the Scarlet Witch. It's a lot more general and encompassing of what this these issues are entailing When you're saying the trial of Magneto we expect to see Magneto on some form of trial We kind of got that in a little bit of issues 1 to 2, but we've strayed away from that narrative to focus more on Wanda herself and the mythos behind her. There's nothing wrong with that you as a creative team and a person creating art of any kind you can do what you want no the granted you are working for a company and you have to do what the company says but more so in the sense of you can create your own stories and narratives you don't you're allowed to take the story wherever you so choose to desire there's nothing wrong with a lot of this focusing more on wanda and Trying to, I want to say, redeem her in the eyes of comic readers and giving her a little bit more of a modern approach to comic storytelling to not only bring her into the modern age, but to, again, stop her from being used as a catalyst for problems granted that, you know, kaijus were all her fault, but there are, you know, good reasons for all of that, and it's more so for establishing things. So, I like where this is going with Wanda, I like a lot of what this is trying to do for her, but it's hard to enjoy that overall when this book is titled one thing, but delivering something else. It was a little bit, uh, you know, we compared this to what sort of X was, where that was a very different take of what they were kind of explaining it was. I'm not so sure why they specifically went with Trial of Magneto outside of that initial like hook. Because when this book was announced, everyone like was clutching their pearls of like, what does this mean? What do you mean he's on trial? What is he going to do? What does that look like? Are we going to see like an actual judicial system on Krakoa? And the answer is no. We didn't get any of that. Which is fine. You're allowed to subvert expectations. It's just more of you... You can't tell me you are giving me uh, you can't tell me you're giving me a macron and say, this is a cookie. And I go, well, I'm going to enjoy this, but you told me this was one thing, but you're giving me something else. You, you can't you can't do that. You can't, you can't tell me you're giving me a cookie, but then give me a plate of macrons and say, enjoy, and then I do enjoy it. Th- just give me the macron. I, I I guess, I obviously, none of us are working at Marvel. We are not higher-ups. We don't know what they're privy to, whether it comes to marketing, if it's because that they thought it might compete too much with the death of Doctor Strange, where you have another magical user who is currently dead and dealing with that who also in a some form resurrected himself, which is in a very fascinating way. I don't know if they were just worried that it would take too much away from that story going on. I'm not 100% sure. So I think issue five, unless Magneto is revealed to actually have killed Wanda all along, I don't really understand why this was called this.
0: And, you know, I think one of the things that we need to always keep in mind is that the writers themselves are not responsible for naming the title usually that comes from an editorial standpoint. And if one thing sticks with me from that, you know, from this discussion of, of whether or not this was the right title for this it's exactly kind of it's what you're saying Jonah I would never say oh you told me the book was going to be called X Factor and then it wasn't about a detective agency or a government team those two things don't bother me so much if you gave me X Factor and it was suddenly about a team of young mutants trying to form a school sure they want to you know be the X Factor in saving young kids you know you can that was actually an element of the earliest form of X Factor 5. like you can title a team book whatever and say it's a new take on that but unless we're going to find out that this is a trial for Magneto as a father that none of this wouldn't have happened that none of this would have happened if it weren't for his terrible fatherhood, <laughs> I do feel that Leah Williams and Lucas Wernick were sort of dealt an unfair hand in that we came into this expecting a trial of Magneto we have a council so we all sort of thought it would have something to do with the council putting Magneto on trial a lot of us came into this looking for one thing and got something very different. And I don't know that that necessarily means the book is bad, but I do know that it certainly affected the way people felt about the book. Now, one thing that definitely struck me this issue was how very quickly every scene in this book moved. It was crazy how fast the action moved, which meant that we only had a very short amount of time with a number of the characters. I know that everybody here has shown great interest in The Five as a collective and understanding them and their individual parts. I loved this page for The Five. I love Hope being strong. I love these characters characters being amazing how did you guys feel about this appearance from the five
2: i love the five i want to know more about the five like honestly there needs to i don't know if you want to do it as a singular singular issue or if they want to intersperse it amongst different books and whatnot but i really want to learn more about the five because they are an integral part of krakoa and mutant society and yet we we only really seem to see them when they're just resurrecting somebody and i'm just like but they all look so interesting. I need to know more. I
1: absolutely love that we got to see that they were circumventing the Quiet Council, but they never actually get around to taking action because Wanda resurrects herself.
0: And that's kind of the magic of Wanda as a character. She gives the opportunity for those sorts of things, and I'm with you, Kyle. I like that they didn't actually have to get in trouble. (laughs) And and
1: because we I had I had thought that the reason why we were seeing the splintered Wanda in the Eldritch Orchard was because the five had resurrected her with those partial memories. Seeing that it was Wanda herself who did it, that makes more sense and it it makes me feel better about the situation a little bit.
0: I agree, especially considering the I never really want to talk about it again for the rest of my life, X-Men versus Avengers. Ultimately, had Wanda and Hope have a really powerful series of moments establishing the strong nature of their relationship. So it's really great to see them work together here in a way where they're still sort of looking out for each other and know how to work through each other. Definitely,
2: I, 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 I think that I've learned more about the five, what brief appearances they've had, but I think I've learned more about the five and kind of how they act and react as a person than I have about Wanda or. Maggie. Magneto in this particular book,
0: and that's—it's so tricky because again, I don't think they name their own titles.
2: Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm so oh, no. not blaming them. Oh I'm no, so totally. not blaming them.
0: Exactly, and that's what's so frustrating because I feel like this book gets a lot of flack for not being what people expected, but at the same time, I look at the incredible storytelling on digital pages eight, 9 10 and eleven, and I look at the sequential color story. Let's consider that on the digital page eight as as well, as you know, the physical matching page, the page with the five mystic symbols uh, going from the multi-starred, uh, the multi-pointed star to the eye at the bottom of the page, there's crease marks on the page, dividing the page into three, segmenting this magic. And it's still telling us part of that story: the value and the strength of the color, and the way the storytelling comes together. It doesn't look as though the two Wandas are trying to kill each other or hurt each other. Other, I actually understand the storytelling is the older Wanda is trying to make sure the right things happen. There's a sense of storytelling excellence that comes across in Leah Williams' deft understanding of the fluidity of page. She really makes me want to turn the page. And that's something that I feel like is getting lost in some of the discussion on Twitter about Mm -hmm. this book. The storytelling is exquisite, even if the contents don't match the content.
1: Can I point something out about the page with the multi-pointed star? You can and point I, out everything you want, as as well as the first page with the spiral words. Mm-hmm. The way that they're segmented, if you look really closely, you can see that it's actually a restaurant paper fancy napkin. Oh, you're
2: freaking right! <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, hey, when it comes to chaos magic, you write it down wherever you can find it, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh huh. my god, you're freaking right. It's a- that's so. So fucking funny uh, i fucking love that i was wondering about that too i'm like is, is uh, am i just seeing a flaw on my own screen or is am i actually see- <laughs> oh my god you're right <laughs> see it and this is why i wish they had delved deeper into the the magic of it especially the chaos magic of it because chaos magic is a fickle and and fluid thing and I I wish they had really just gone like shoulder deep into the magic side of it and I don't think it would have uh, taken away from the death of Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange deals with a lot of the same types of magic. It would have shown connectivity between magical beings within the Marvel Universe. I think they would have played beautifully into each other and would have also provided some continuity as to why these insanely powerful magicians can do what they do it's like oh it's chaos magic okay these things are absolutely possible oh okay I get it they're taking from you know X source or this source or that source I think it would have brought some connectivity to those characters versus taking away from each other
0: so now I think we have to talk about the kaijafant in the room
2: because
0: this has been for many people I think the The major breaking point that threw people off and I just want to say that I kind of feel like there is a long history of comics and manga and you know uh, western comics and western animation borrowing from eastern tradition and eastern manga and storytelling and of course there is the famous trade that is without Walt Disney there would be no Astro Boy but (laughs) without Astro Boy there would be in many ways No, the lion king no mega man no mega man there you go there's there's so many ways in which we and the reference of course i'm making is the kimba the white lion connection Mm -hmm. and the rise of manga and anime leading to the success of things like kimba the white lion leading to the lion king and i love kaiju as an idea i think it's a really exciting narrative idea to enter these sort of like hyper monsters these these oversized these like macro creatures into storytelling worlds where they don't exist and we see that popularization in other fictional avenues as well not just the rise of the kaiju verse but also things like Cloverfield and when Legend of Korra did it at the end of season two I was like yes
4: giant Korra
0: and like it was the greatest day of my life right but I feel perhaps like because this kaiju thing didn't resound so well with fans that it just sort of ended didn't really feel so organic.
2: Well, they didn't feel organic in their introduction, which made it really difficult to make it feel organic in their disposal. And oh, I I don't mean this criticism to sound harsh, but it may still come off that way. When they were introduced, it it didn't feel like they were introduced really for a reason other than to be a a minor distraction while we don't give you more in-depth discussion about what's going on with certain characters. And so to go, it's your heart. It's, it's, It's this, you know, you've made them because you're stressed out. It's like, bitch, seriously? Like, how many more times can we have Wanda Max moth just fuck up and because of her emotions because she's an emotional woman terrible things happen like seriously so it's like because we didn't have that kind of exploration of her character the the kaiju just seemed eh and i desperately wanted more because that that honestly would have lent more power to as why those kaiju showed up and why they are so freaking strong versus the oh you're, you're basically having an anxiety attack and you just need to accept it and that'll make them go away. The shit?
1: Yeah, yeah. The whole idea that the kaiju are were her guilt manifest and then she just shows up and makes them disappear. It, it doesn't feel like it's really working through her problems. It's not addressing the actual issue at hand that she feels guilty for the things that she's done in the past. And I mean, we, we've seen seen her show her guilt through a number of the issues that she's popped up in in the last couple of years in relations to the X-Men but I I don't feel like this was a good way of demonstrating her getting over the guilt of what she's done
3: I think there might have been a better way to go about what these kaiju represent. It does feel, uh, for me, a little hand-wavy. It feels like if you... Uh, I often, you know, talk about comics in, in terms of storytelling, in terms of D&D, because what is D&D if not just collaborative storytelling? It feels like this is a moment where the DM kind of railroads you and tells you this is what's happening, as opposed to letting things play out where your role in it didn't matter. In this sense, the Dungeon Master of the writers put the X-Men and the Avengers in a situation where their actions don't don't matter they can't defeat the kaiju there's literally nothing they can do they're going to exhaust themselves to the point of where if they all die well the x-men can come back and the avengers can't and they're just fighting uh it's this constant fighting it does feel a little hand wavy for then the three Wandas to come back and be like be gone kaiju and all the kaijus just disappear and they're destroyed or the you know their weak points are revealed it's it's something that you also see in like a couple different like rpg video games where like if you have something like a navigator or a character that's meant to identify and you know tells you the weaknesses of bosses like the beginning part of it you can't you can't fight the boss you can't deal damage it dodges everything and then you need a character to tell you how to do things. I like seeing things in a little more organic settings where it feels like you have agency in your own roles. I think the kaiju look cool. I like their designs but mm-hmm. I don't know if and I like what they're meant to represent. I think that maybe they could have been better implemented to feel a a little more organic to the story it feels like the kaiju didn't matter because they don't they didn't actually end up doing anything outside of distracting the x-men and avengers for a period of time i kind of wish there was maybe just something a little bit more to their inclusion to help bridge everything together
2: so you're yeah. saying they're the tuxedo mask
3: <laughs> uh honestly you they did just show up <laughs> and say my job is done here what? and the avengers and the x-men are usagi saying but you didn't do anything. And then you just (laughs) fly, they just fly away. Yeah, that's a good description.
0: So that does leave us with all of the plot kind of resolved, except for the fact of who killed Wanda. Now, I'm not surprised that they left it for the last issue for the reveal, but I can't help but notice that on the final page of the issue, she doesn't say, I know who killed me. She says, I know who attacked me. And now I'm very curious about how this is all supposed to play out. Was Wanda never really murdered? Was what happened to her really more of a mystical beatdown? How does that interplay with what we just spent the last four issues, read it. I know that Leah Williams, for my money, was able to make every issue of X Factor feel vital, important, and ultimately very fulfilling, even if that week or that month I didn't think it was the best issue of the series so far. I have a lot of faith in her ability to tell this story, and Lucas Wernick has been really delivering some powerful pencils. While I maybe don't feel every page of this issue resounds with the same level of quality pencil work that is his like upper echelon, I do know that this issue featured assistants which of course could affect how it reads but with only one issue to go how do you guys feel about wanda saying on the last page i know who attacked
1: i mean she's not dead <laughs> so i i, 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 uh, I feel I mean, like right yeah <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels monty python-esque
2: <laughs> I got better, better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah I I wish that we had more of the investigation of working with her and the other characters together to understand what was happening instead of just Wanda absorbs her past and her present and I think her future and becomes whole again and suddenly knows who attacked her and is going to reveal it. I hope it's just not a bunch of... Is the word exposition?
0: Yeah, just like when they're like... And this is what happened and this is what happened and this yeah. is what happened and this is what happened yeah and for some reason they do it to a good beat <laughs> do <Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. laughs> <laughs> there was so much potential there was
1: so much potential for redemption Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. yet now what we have is all of Kokoa is pretty much ready to attack her because Mm -hmm. of the kaiju and she's like oh I'm gonna I'm actually gonna tell you what really happened Yeah, and it it, it doesn't feel like that would be the best way to improve relations between Kokoa and end
0: this view Of her as the pretender Mm -hmm. I actually think one of the things that would have Maybe benefited this title was if Marvel had made it perhaps four Annuals and the first one could have been an X-Factor annual and focused on the investigation And the second one could have been a Magneto annual and focused on the trial Of Magneto part the third part Mm -hmm. could have Been a you know Hulkling and Or a Billy and Teddy I'm sorry a a Billy And Tommy annual Mm -hmm. and then the fourth part could have been A Scarlet Witch annual you know Mm -hmm. like we could Have seen this multi-perspective thing It's really truly an unfortunate feeling that like this didn't feel at all like a trial for Magneto. Jonah I know you stand Daddy Magnus pretty hard and you're also really invested at this point in the Billy narrative by virtue of your Young Avengers read. So how do you feel about where this leaves Wanda and Eric all things considered?
3: To also jump into the previous question you, uh, that you posed and talked about I think for me maybe even more powerful ending would have been revealing the person who attacked and then having the the last issue kind of be with that aftermath of either apprehending said person or being an actual trial i think there's a lot of power and ending on that kind of cliffhanger there's not i guess more so i think i'm looking for a little bit more special of a cliffhanger there's nothing wrong with using the cliffhanger of i know who kills me and this was a soap opera that's where the episode would end and then there would be about seven seasons before we find out who did attack her But that's besides (laughs) the point so I kind of maybe was looking for a little bit more of a special kind of twist or cliffhanger, but that's okay. Where does this leave Wanda and Magnus? I'm not actually sure. And part of that is there's so much going on currently with X-Men. There's, you know, you have S.W.O.R.D., which is everything about Orcus and their space front and their space endeavors. You have things going on in Inferno with Destiny now running around being a member on the Quiet Council. So it's Uh, there's a lot that's going on over there there's a lot going on in x-men with this intergalactic threat that's kind of basically placing bets on will the x-men survive and be able to defeat this threat this time as well as the threat of the journalism you know posing their threat to expose the x-men having a way to resurrect themselves or at least come back from the dead i really don't know what the magnitude of this story is going to be able to amount to to because I feel like it might just get overshadowed with everything else that's going on. And I feel bad for that because this is a, a quite interesting story. But something that I'm noticing about X titles is it's hard to place everything together because you read things over in Trial of Magneto and what's going on over here. And then you look at things over in Inferno and you're like, well, do the things of Trial of Magneto not matter? Or do the things of Inferno not matter? And it's a little bit hard to pinpoint and match where things align if that makes sense. I am really hoping for for Wanda, I am hoping that writers continue the trend of kind of apologizing to the character and giving her better stories as well as giving her agency of her powers, of who she is, as well as the people that she interacts with. I think a really great step was having her be a teacher in over in Strange Academy. And I want her to continue those, not specifically teaching roles, but just better roles for her as a character in what are you going to do with this character, whatever that may be. And I also think that it'll be a much better smart decision considering the success of Wanda in the MCU. You give a character these amazing stories within your live action franchise, give her some better stuff in the comics and you'll have more people to bridge your own content and buy more things from you. When it comes to Magneto... I, it either needs to be revealed that Magneto was the one who ultimately killed her all along and that he's either getting sent to the pit or the Quiet Council's like, we're just going to dissolve because we're not sending Magneto to the pit and they're all just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. Mm -hmm. I think I need something big to happen for Magneto in the sense of give him something really big for this. Give him something really big to do to either apologize for, to amount for, give him something really big to lead, to have his own sector, something. Because I feel like Magneto, for as important as a character that Krakoa makes this, uh, and the people of Krakoa make to, make it out to be that he is, hasn't been actually doing too much. You know, he wasn't picked as somebody for the sword event. He hasn't really been involved in a lot of titles, and his appearances are often him sitting down, or him talking with Charles. I think I really want Magneto to be doing something. Yeah, I,
2: I, I so agree with everything you just said like to the nth degree and my prediction on this is that it was a suicide that she either orchestrated for somebody to kill her because she needed to die in order to get to the eldritch orchard and you know do her thing there so that she could become whole or she killed herself in order to facilitate what needed to happen
0: and i think that's a pretty you know that's as pretty good a guess as anybody has for a title that we expected to be something very different going into it i think it's difficult to have a a strong guess on what the final issue might bring i do hope that perhaps there is you know the the bare bones chance that magneto if magneto possibly did it i hope there's a good reason perhaps wanda controlled him into doing it something because i will be disappointed if somehow magneto gets a, a hand wave for possibly maybe killing his daughter you know there needs to be a reckoning but i don't think that's the story we're telling if i wanted anything more for this book it's i wish it got 10 more pages an issue to Mm -hmm. flesh things out there were so many great ideas in this story as we head toward the final issue i'm looking forward to maybe understanding a little more about how we came into old woman wanda i'm looking to get a better sense of how wanda managed to resurrect herself Mm -hmm. and if nothing else i would enjoy getting a chance to see the avengers and x-men move kind of past this holding pattern we've been sitting in since the gala and wanda is the catalyst for that wanda is the person who can maybe bridge those gaps now with logan who can also bridge those gaps and storm you know this is a good chance to move things forward does anybody have anything they're hoping for from the final issue along
3: those lines something that i would love is i would love a little clarification if mystique played a little bit of a larger role of what's going on or if her cameo was just specific Specifically, because in Trial of Magneto when Rachel scanned, she saw that Magneto was the one who took the Cerebro helmet, but it was actually Mystique, which I also find fascinating because Logan is usually able to tell the difference of who Mystique is impersonating, and I thought by association, potentially Dawkins would be able to do that, but no he couldn't differentiate, which I, I think is an interesting distinction between father and son. I think Logan has more on-site experience with Mystique. Mm. That's also very fair, but I also know that Dawkins' whole thing is pheromones and I, I feel like his sense of smell is a lot better or, or like specifically trained to do certain things that Wolverine's more animalistic primal senses don't. But That's beside the point. But uh, my more so to my point, I would love to know if Mystique played a larger role in everything that's going on or specifically that moment was because she thought that it would ruin her plans to get Destiny back specifically and that was her only role in this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, ooh, that is a very good uh hope actually um yeah i i kind of hope that we see if destiny was was involved more in this as well um i also even though I really don't see it happening, I really want to see Krakoa move on from calling Wanda the pr- the pretender. I really, really want to see that. I understand that they are dealing with a lot of past trauma and that is something that is difficult to get over so quickly, but they need to stop villainizing somebody who has been working to rectify the actions of her past.
0: And it is from an outsider's perspective unfair to pick and choose who gets that kind of forgiveness and you know apocalypse is is responsible for a lot more death mm-hmm, than, mm-hmm. than should be so readily have been forgiven. Mr. Sinister is who here hasn't been personally genetically victimized by <laughs> Mr. Sinister you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like it does seem a little bit like they are purposefully going after this one woman. It becomes Elle Wood's Why this emission? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Why this woman? Why not every mutant who's done something to hurt mutant kind?
2: Because there were men. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say the word out loud? i mean i think i've said most everything that i wanted about this like i again i know the writers had probably (laughs) very little say in the title of it but i think the title could have been more successful if it had been more aptly named i don't
0: disagree so
2: in the future marvel please name your comics aptly so i know what other comics i can also group together because they may very well play off of each other or at least follow certain themes that people who like magic would like to follow and people who like more mutant-led stuff would like to follow, because this is solidly in the realm of magic for me, and I would have loved to have seen this grouped together with like Strange, Strange Academy, Death of Doctor Strange, the mystical realms basically.
0: And yeah, you know what? On that note, the trial of X-Men, the trial of Magneto, does not make it sound like it's going to co-star the Avengers fighting a kaiju, and if you look at the cover, sure, Wanda's on the cover, but for the most part, Wanda's X-Men appearances are Uh, very different than Wanda's Avengers appearances. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like when John Constantine used to appear in the proper DCU when there was still the Vertigo universe. And you would be like, oh, when Constantine deals with bad guys in, or when Constantine does anything in Hellblazer, it's always like making deals with the devil. But when Constantine shows up in uh, a Justice League title, he's like, oh, well, I can do a spell or two. Let me (laughs) take out my lucky coin and do a little trick for you guys. <laughs> and it was always so baffling for me that that would happen. Oh, I can't so. Be- that's kind of how I feel about Wanda appearing in X-Men titles. She's a little she's a little bit, can I magic that up from my magical village for you? And I, I think seeing her on the cover doesn't help me understand what's better in this book. So whether or not we've loved every element of the storytelling of this title, the creative team started at a disadvantage. And I love that that's something we all have agreed, that this was as much a decision from the top as it was a decision from anybody in the creative seats themselves agreed absolutely agreed Hey everybody, Nico here again. And I love our team's coverage of New Mutants. There's certain books that I don't put myself on very much because I love listening to other people talk about them so much. And our team's coverage of New Mutants has been truly a dynamic thing to listen to as it's unfolded. Josh's narrative tracing of the idea of a Muslim man in the world of Krakoa and on a path to redemption and goodness, there is something so powerful in listening to that conviction And the ever-evolving nature of Vita Ayala and Rod's collaborative storytelling has been spectacular, and it's something that I've personally enjoyed watching over the last two arcs, and I look forward to seeing more of in Destiny of X. Until then, though, enjoy this next segment.
4: Welcome back to another segment of X is for podcast this week we're talking about new mutants 23 written by Vita Ayala with art by Rod Reyes letters by VCs Travis Lanham in this issue we get what might be the ultimate resolution of Vita's year long storyline featuring the wild hunt and Ahmed Al Farouk the shadow king was it the resolution that we thought we were promised I have no idea. And I've read it with me to discuss this today is Kyle. Kyle, say hi and tell us where you're from.
1: <laughs> you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D R A N T I S 82. And also with us is Arturo.
5: Hi, I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram as
4: always, you can find me on Twitter at Asleep at the Wheel W E I L and at Asleepathewheel.com. At and as the Progressive Democrat running for US Senate between now and November 8th, 2022, you can find me across social media at wheel the number four US Senate and at joshwheel.org. So, New Mutants twenty three. I have lots and lots of thoughts and feelings on this story, and I'm not really even sure, like I, I sit here thinking about it, and, and I have my own, like, conversation. Like, I am both sides of the argument. Like, I'm sitting here like, like, okay, yes, like, we finally got, like, the resolution or the vindication we needed, but then, like, was it the what I wanted, and... And, man, like, this story felt long. But did it feel long? Like, was it 10 issues? Like, is this just a standard double trade? Like, and, okay, but did it need to be? Like, should this have been a single trade? Or, you know, was it just diverted from the Shannon Karma storyline, which was really, really good? Before, like, it, it feels long, but is it? Well, like, was it just a release thing? Did it come out scheduled too long because of shipping delays? Like... I honestly, in my own... Does this just need to be read in trade all at once? Like, do I need to go back and read it all 14 to 23 in one sitting? Like, I have... It feels simultaneously, like, normal and... Like, it feels like we're in this
5: forever. Well, it absolutely does, because part of this happened through the Hellfire gun, mm-hmm. right? So, like, this this has been rolling for, like you just said, for, for the better part of a year this story's been going. And it's... It, it's Gabby... Gabby's death was in the
4: Hellfire Gala. Exactly. Right. Which yep. means all of... Because Gabby's death was kind of like the turn between Act 2 and Act 3 of this. Mm-hmm. So two-thirds of this story was pre-Hellfire Gala. Which makes this feel like... This story essentially goes back to Ten of Swords. Yeah. yeah. Like, Ten of yeah. Swords finished. We get the Brisson transfer into Ayala. And this has been our... This has been the main through line. Vita started
5: this... Very early on, and it's been such a roller coaster. Josh, I, I couldn't stop thinking about you when I was reading this because you Aww. were the first one, I think, that had so much hope for for the redemption of Shadow King, and you were also, I think, the first that felt uh, the, the most severely betrayed when when he killed Gabby, because you were like, "No, I thought we were gonna get a, a redeemed uh, Farouk," and and maybe that is what we're getting. That certainly seems like it. So, I think this has been some of the most ambitious character work of of this uh of this era like this is pretty intense for for vita to take shadow king and and make him
4: and let's human. let's separate for a second because vita's mm-hmm. doing some really good work here but the intensity is entirely I, I maybe shouldn't say entirely but is because of rod reyes like rod reyes is this is a master class in because he's doing everything here he's the art he's the colors like The facial expressions, the tears, the weeping, the going back and forth and superimposing the child of Farouk in the eyes and the face with the monster of the Shadow King and and the, the changes in the teeth and the eyebrows, like from image to image to see like who's coming through. The, the the schizophrenic multiple faces overlapping. Like he's drawn multiple faces overlapping on each other in a number of these showing kind of the battle that's going on within them. His his art for showing the multiple personalities fighting inside of Farouk is something I would say that the, the base inspiration on this is, is clearly Sienkiewicz with the original Legion story from New Mutants. But again, we're going back and we're touching on a classic Hallmark New Mutants story. And Reyes, without ever abandoning his own style, is, is matching that, that unique style that defined New Mutants. Like yeah. There's so much Sienkiewicz inspiration, especially on the scenes where we're seeing them twisted on the astral plane. Yep, and yeah, his his work is is perfect for the astral plane. Yeah, and and the idea of a of, of a schizophrenic character, of these these multiple characters fighting inside one mind, like this is some this is again goes back to that Legion story. So it lends itself so perfect to use. Reyes' talents on this art. Um, The art, and I would say particularly in this issue, I think more than others, because he got to really bend the physics and break out, you know, his is... He does not have a photorealistic style. He has gorgeous, gorgeous paintings and art, but being able to really blend more into the abstract and kind of symbolic nature, like getting to really stretch his characters plays so well into his talents here. I mean, in, in so many places, as I said, with the the detailing, the multiple personalities inside Farouk, the Cosmar and Danny and magic, Kind of astral fusion, uh, which was a, a just a stunning panel, also with huge contrasts of color. He had so many major contrasts of color from these these deep blue scenes and uh, these black and white flashbacks and sepia-toned flashbacks. Then the, the bright gold well uh, during the mutant fusions, the pinks and rainbow. Like, there were so many palette changes in yeah. this. And coloring isn't just, you know, palettes. You know, I think it's the most obvious thing that we tend to see or feel misplaced when palettes are wrong. But he used so many palettes in this and so well to... To tell this story. This was visually stunning.
5: Yeah, this is, I mean, Reyes's art is just career defining right now. Like, and I love that Ayala and Reyes are such a team. Like, you can't separate the two from this from this book it, it, mm-hmm. and it's been so consistent and i agree with you i mean this is like this is reyes at his best just doing the most like trippy dreamscapey feeling uh areas and, and like the little details that he infuses into the art like there was a one part where there's you know the, the stairs going everywhere it's like a very like escher like prison and you see like some tentacles you see a picture of rain you see uh, uh Farouk as a spider like there's just these little little details that uh that he works in that are just incredible
4: and his gutters. So, you know, I, I personally, I feel like oftentimes when artists do too much with the gutters, like, I think it's, it's just extra. I know there's a lot of people who love from like the early gen Generation X, Botulo's um, gutters that it looks like he spent a whole fucking month working on. Um, <laughs> like, he put more effort into the gutters of some of those Generation X issues than Rob Liefeld has ever put into a single issue of comics. And but here I love them. I love the way that from scene to scene the gutters change, and they really, particularly with um, what we're getting from Farouk, whether he's Farouk or or the Shadow King, whether they're in threat. Like there are these these malicious, dark, viney gutters at points. There are these these striking, almost like electric, psychic energy gutters. There's there's ones flowing with uh, color that almost makes me think more of Cosmar, like when we see Cosmar reality bending, but kind of coming out of portions of Farouk from the edge of the paper, like this, his art is running from the edge of the paper all the way through and his gutters, the gutters are part of the art here in a way that really, like it adds a mo it adds feel and texture to this issue.
5: Texture is the word for it. Texture, like there's, there's this, I mean, there's a page that I was like, wait, is it it this got water damaged? Because it had like a yellowish, you know, the whole page is saturated with his art. And, and I love that he is color and line and and everything here, because you really get a sense of of his vision. It's incredible. And
4: it also goes, you know, to my time release thing, like. You can't have a book coming out every 28 days like clockwork with this level of art when one person is doing the whole load like this. So... You know, I would have to go back and look at the explicit release dates, but part of me wants to feel too like we lost a month or two. Especially if we think about that. This is New Mutants issue twenty-three. And the fact that we're wrapping up issues twenty-five and twenty-six over on Excalibur and X Force and Marauders, right? So everything else is a couple months ahead of this. Which makes me feel that maybe we've been getting these like early one month, late the next, like that, oh hey, look, we had a September and an October issue, but they were more than four weeks apart like that these are taking a little longer which kind of spread this out a little more as well for us because new mutants launched new mutants x force excalibur marauders those all launched at the same time but the other ones are are two to three months ahead of this in terms of number of issues released
1: well didn't they also have like a period when they were struggling to get a couple of these new mutants books out
4: anyway um before ayala took over with Brisson, I don't think it ever went behind like that. I want to say that they were all at the same number spot when we went into 10 of swords. Um
5: the thing with the Brisson run is that it just felt like a bunch of false starts that didn't really right. I mean yeah. I guess Terra Verde is coming back like that was introduced at that time, but you, there there's not much. Like remember when we thought Sunspot and Warburg were or Deathburg were going to be a thing? But like, that was from the Hickman <laughs> 6
4: ish. That was from the Hickman. Right. <laughs> uh, oh, it's true.
5: Brisson and Hickman were tag-teaming. Yeah, the the,
4: the Brisson one was not bad. It was just directionless. It, it wasn't going anywhere. It, it was just these kind of stories, like, ooh, I want to tell this thing where magic, you know, where Ilyana has Twitter and gets angry at people, like, or, and Danny and Ilyana go and threaten Twitter trolls, like... Or, you know, we're going to have an emotional story where Glob gets to talk about his dad because Ed Brisson loves, loves Glob. Like, they weren't bad, but it just kind of felt like, where is, the book felt directionless. That was our big comment on it. It has not felt directionless for the last year. Not at all. Yep, definitely.
5: And I, I'm just so glad that we're, like, back to, I don't want to say back to basics, but, like, we're back to this core team that feels so, it just feels good. It feels homey. It feels like like the OG team.
4: I, I think that this, if this book is struggling from anything right now, I think it's the fact that. What we got when Vita started the Wild Hunt in issue 14 should have been what we got. We should have gotten that half a year earlier. Like that should have been what we were getting at the start of the Brisson. Like because we're at a point where everything else is wrapping up their initial two year, two plus year runs on the titles. Marauders is coming to the end of its opening era and, you know, getting ready to transition X-Force or is or is, I I think we talked on that last one, like where'd the surfing shit fucking come from? I thought we were going somewhere with Colossus. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, these things are are really all of the disparate threads that Percy was weaving from, you know, Zeno and Mikhail and Terra Verde and all of these and the the Pale Girl and all of these things have come together. They're all one story, you know, moving to a, a big... You know, essentially at a point where it looks like going into the next thing. Now we have, you know, um, Mirror Universe Colossus with his evil Spock beard um, (laughs) on the Quiet Council controlled by the Chronicler and Mikhail. Like, these are all like we've reached the end of this big story, like the opening over the first big story. This feels like we just reached the end of the beginning. Like, this feels like Vita just finished the big opening setup, and now, like, we have firmly established what New Mutants is going to be. But that like, this should have happened a year ago. Like, it feels in a very different place from the other books. And and maybe that's why, like, <clears throat> like this got to the end of a start, not the end of an end, when everything else was somewhere
5: else. But I think that's what I'm enjoying about it, is that instead of going out and... and creating new antagonists or, or what have you Vita's doing this work like within where, where they're, building more of the relationships and like the interpersonal connections between the characters where you're kind of doing these like deep dives where like Vita's, you know, one of the few creators that I think is really uh, playing around with the, the, the concept of mutant circuits and, and mutant magic um, in a really interesting way. I love that, you know, we constantly see these new little combos uh, introduced and, and it just, it's, it's flowing really well. And then with Shadow King, again, I think it, it's been this like intense intensive almost like a therapy session which is a nice change of pace it's nice it's fun you know compared to like just going around and doing adventures and fighting
4: and like any good therapy session it wasn't clean like it wasn't pretty like it got it got dirty and nasty for a minute before it got better yep which you know tracks yeah there there was some truth and some pain and feels in this I'm really interested, so when we talk about, you know, you mentioned earlier kind of like my predictions or my reading into the, um, you know, whether it's the the rehabilitation or the uh, um, for Ahmed Farouk, there's almost more questions I have now than answers, and I think that was one of the things I, w- I was getting at at the beginning. So what we see here at the end really kind of repaints even the what we got in this whole story, because... By the end of this, the Farouk that is left is not the man, it's the boy. And and I think that was one of my big things. Like when I talked about, you know, I've mentioned, you know, from like a Muslim standpoint and wearing the fez and these other things like what, you know, Ahmed Farouk would would kind of be the man when you take the shadow king away or when you put him on Krakoa. But he really isn't. Like, what Vita gives us instead is that the boy who was trapped inside is still a boy. He never got a chance to mature and grow up. He was not growing up alongside Farouk all this time. He is still the boy trapped in, which gives so many questions or possibilities for what we see next. And really kind of also explains, I think, why you see him reaching out to the youngest kids, to the Gabbies and the Cosmars. Yeah. Um, And, you know, are we going to have this boy trapped in a man's body being with the younger kids? Are we going to see him resurrected, like, into an age-appropriate body? Like, what does it mean in terms of who this character is inside the body we're being presented? I I think there's a lot of—because we have similar things in terms of that with Cosmar, in terms of that with No Girl— like, we have a whole bunch of characters here. No Girl, where hold on. We, we have, have questions no about... Who- yeah, No Girl had a body, and I moved here for it all day. No she Girl
1: knows. had a body, and she had complaints about not being able to, re- to be resurrected into it.
5: No Girl looked a lot like uh, Sy- Syllabelle from House yes. of Powers from the future. The, yes. Like, with the black brain or whatever. Um. Yeah, that... No Girl that was like a, a standout character for, for this issue.
4: I want, I want, I want no girl getting a body soon. I um, and girl. I think I think we're gonna get. I feel like Vita has been laying down a lot of tracks here in terms of bodily autonomy. You know, we'd been promised by Leah and Vita a story about a transmutant with resurrection. And for whatever reason, that didn't come up. That was supposed to come up in X Factor, I believe. But we're seeing so many roads kind of leading there. It just hasn't happened yet. And yeah, there's a lot to be explored about what it means to be in or have your own or be right in your body here with this young team, And then, especially the, and with the addition of... Farooq, because I feel like if we're talking about what this is becoming in terms of the older new mutants, the younger new mutants, and, you know, what Ilyana and Danny want to kind of build or provide for them, what they need, like, Farooq's going to be... With the young kid, like he he's on Gabby's team, right? Like am I? Yeah, he's, he's gonna be with the Gabby Cosmar crew. Yeah, I think that's
1: gonna happen, especially since the Lost Club seems to be the only ones who care to listen to him.
5: Which is understandable. Like it's understandable other, yeah. because
1: because the New Mutants they do have that that history of uh, being antagonized by him or by the entity that was the Shadow King. Mm-hmm. By the spider.
5: Yeah. Yes. Karma specifically. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, all of them to an extent, but karma for real. And yeah, I think I mean... it's going
1: to take a lot of work for for the new mutants to learn to accept Farouk or this, this restored Farouk. Whereas I, I feel like the Lost Club is going to be a little more
4: understanding of what he's going through. Oh, And I think the body's going to be a big part of that. You know, I think that, like, (laughs) the awkwardness of large man Farouk being the child under the care of Danny, Rain, Shan, Ilyana is going to definitely provide some awkwardness. But you know, we saw it in the mental state. Like we saw the way Rain responded to him. Like when Rain tracked him down and was licking his face and comfort like when Rain found the boy, she provided comfort to him. Like and it was more natural and easier. You know, the the struggle is when it looks like the man, because you know the 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 body the the large man body in the white coat and the fez is that the body of Amal Farouk, or is that the body of the Shadow King?
5: I hope it's the body of Amal Farouk because we don't have enough big characters like that, and I I would love to just see him in a body, like just reimagined and doing good things on Krakoa. Like I don't know, maybe put him over at the in the Bowery, like with kids. I don't know if that's a bad idea. Well,
4: well, that's what I was thinking for the longest time, and it, I think this was one of the things that kind of turned on me, where you know my expectations were that we were going to be getting you know a a large or I keep saying large I don't mean la- like that we were going to be getting this you know, as a fleshed out real Muslim Egyptian man. But I don't feel that way character wise at the end of this because the the body and the character are so disparate at this point. Like there is such a massive divide between what we're which, this seeing and the feeling because the boy the boy is the character
5: yeah but like i i read that as you know like we all not to sound corny but you know we all have our our inner child or whatever like it it was just taking that concept like yes you're uh you know a big strapping man or whatever but like peel away all the layers you're still just a kid inside and i mean i think it's it's more so i think it's more so in in this case like obviously uh he was you know stunted in a way that 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 isn't typical but I wouldn't read too much into it. Like now, we have to resurrect him as a child for it to make sense. I, I think, I think as he's as he comes aware, you're going to see um, a little more maturity.
4: Mm. I mean, going back through this, so I would like that. That was what I kind of wanted all along. But you know, these written like, um, script pages, pages from a play, you know, all of the scenes with uh, Farouk and Shadow King, Shadow King only refers to him as boy. He refers to him as boy over and over and over again on those script pages. You know, when we see them separated inside the astral plane, Farouk appears as the boy, like that is his psychic impression of himself. And then even at the end, like the explicit lettering, you know, on that last panel where he's in the Beetle position and just the explicitly lettered out whimper like it just gives me this like this feel like we have not a not like a man child like a man who needs to emotionally mature and grow up but a literal child trapped in a man's body because he's been imprisoned by this astral demon
5: which, which demon. the whole psychic demon is just like a an incredible metaphor for like for abuse for gaslighting like even oh, even, yes. even shadow king yep. calling him boy. Like, they, there was that mm-hmm. um, that analogy where here, a hundred years ago, circuses were able to contain huge elephants with just a small rope around their ankles. When they were babies, they were chained with the strongest metal. They learned they couldn't escape. When they grew, the metal was replaced with rope, but they had lost all hope. Like, that was such, in, in three word bubbles, what Vita's able to convey in that is so powerful and it just contextualizes the, the prison that this child is trapped in you know Mm -hmm. uh, within the shadow king and how a lot of it is kind of like learned abuse like he's been beaten down so many times and called a boy forever that he can't even conceive of being anything more than that or being able to break free from it uh and then you know through the power of friendship the new mutants and the kids you know show him show him the way
4: yeah, no, and and thank you, Kyle, for pointing out Lost Club. I kept calling them the Wild Hunt, um, which is like the place <laughs> that they live and play, and also the title of like the arc. Like, yeah, but, um, no, they're the yeah. Lost Club in the Wild Hunt. Yes, mm-hmm. and 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 that's you know, I'm looking at Heroes and Shadows Act One scene two. You know, one of those data pages with the script scenes where it was, and I kind of felt weird about these, like. So do you guys think that these were designed to be data pages of script or were these pages that um, Reyes didn't have time to draw
5: because he was putting so much fucking work into everything else and so we just got literal script pages? You know, either way, I'm cool (laughs) with it. Um, It kind of reminded me of, remember in Marauders when, um, when Emma was like casting an illusion and it was like she was doing like a play. And it was it was the thing with Pyro and Jean Gray on the Firebird. and then it was all like Emma like just you know stage directing, and that was like the the telepathic uh you know visualization of it. That's how I took this too, as like. You know, yes, this it would have been cool to see this uh, this drawn. Like, give me more Reyes heart, but I considered that too. Like, maybe this really wasn't on purpose, and and it was just out of necessity, which yeah, is pretty cool too.
1: For me, it, it felt like another weirdness of being in the the astral plane, where right. I, just like. How at some points they're in a desert and then they've got the stair room. At some points they just turn into a script.
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> now I, I really like, particularly in the script too. I, I like. I felt like there was an emphasis on No Girl that, and I mean No Girl character building. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. No Girl getting agency here in ways that we have never seen, and also feels. I feel like if no girl got a body, which no girl deserves a fucking body, if no girl got a body, no girl would be the leader of this team. Like, based on what I was reading on these these play pages.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel that way as well. And I especially liked this particular page because it showed her turning to the new mutants and saying, you don't understand. You need to listen to us. We know what's
4: going on. And
1: for for a few pages past that, the new mutants still
4: don't listen to them. As someone who knows what it is like to be trapped in her own mind and manipulated manipulated to do horrible things while still trying to fight back i think i have earned the right to say things may not be as black and white as you think they are i know what it is to be left behind all i ask is that you consider that maybe we would be doing the same here no girl no girl took a stand Mm -hmm. no girl mvp and shan
5: yep and and scout coming between them Mm i still hate that we need that we have to call her scout
4: that's (laughs) not she's honey badger and she got to turn into an actual Wolverine here too at one she point. We did. yep. didn't even talk about that. Gabby became a real Wolverine. She this became girl a- girl would have been so proud. She became a Wolverine kaiju. Yes. I absolutely loved that.
5: <laughs> yeah, this Giga is a mode. Cool one. They were in Giga Mode. Giga Mode. One of my favorite panels, uh, going back to the idea of the, the child being in the prison. The panel of that prison, that like little black and white dark box floating in like this colorful sky with goldfish flying like yeah, god this art just like absolutely mm-hmm. incredible artwork
4: yes everything with the colors the the cloud of like black dots the scratchiness which is also very sinkevich like the the scratchiness yeah. in the art like some of the color has or ink has been scratched away from the character mm-hmm In those black and white, like in those ink scenes, the hasty coloring in outside of the lines, like there's there's so much feel to that just in the what it evokes emotionally while you're looking at it. As well as what it evokes from recalling back to the Sienkiewicz work. It is, th- this is some of the, this particular issue, I think, 23, what we got from Reyes here, I would say is one of the, up there in terms of one of the top five art issues we've gotten in like in the post pox era. Yeah. I Taking agree. those, mm-hmm. those 12 opening masterful like, house of x powers of 10 issues out you know yeah, in yeah, terms he, of some he, of the casara stuff that we've seen some of the rb silva or pepe laraz stuff like this is this is absolutely up there like this would this has to be in the conversation this is a, a phenomenal phenomenal piece of work artistically
5: i loved um, i loved uh towards the end of the issue when the new mutants are are coming to the to, to uh to farooq and he's seeing them as like these monsters but they look like like if you asked a five-year-old to draw a scary monster like the mm-hmm. art has this very rough you know kind mm-hmm. of feel to mm-hmm. it and it's just oh it's so good but he it's also so sinkevichy
4: as well like, oh, absolutely! It's, yeah. Yes, it has this this childlike fear, this Sinkevici. This is what I mean. My little guy draws things like this. It has that. Um, it's those Slenderman, child nightmare dimensions. Like I have, I have little ones who draw monsters like this. So this is it. This is my little guy draws these uh, Rod Reyes Sinkevici monsters, and my uh, my older one draws the Joshua Kasarasi monsters. Like that's their <laughs> that's their their what monster aesthetic. style. <laughs>
5: Awesome. yeah, yeah I, I don't think we could say enough about this art i'm just like but no the, it, it also
4: you know what it feels like you know why i i related to sinkevich the the facial morphs with the mouths and the eyes even though they're the exact opposite in terms of like feel like emotion are so much like sinkevich's warlock in terms of the the altered yeah. proportions spacing shaping stretching it is. It is very much the way that he made Warlock. Although this is a a nightmare version instead of a dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: What do you guys think is going to happen next? Where do you think we're going with uh, with new mutants?
1: I think we need to see some. Uh, coordination between the Lost Club and the New Mutants, uh, more where the New Mutants are learning from the Lost Club instead of the other way around. Yeah, I'd like um, to. See,
5: I'd like to see them listen to the kids a little bit on this yeah. stuff because, like, you know, I go back to when Cosmar approached Danny going to the Crucible, and Danny was like, "No, we can't just do that because you don't like what you look like," and you know, and we got you know at the the last panel we see No Girls back in her little brain jar. Like, I think we're going to have to see some of their issues addressed so that they can they can progress. And I'd like mm-hmm. to see that. I really want to see no girl in the body. So
4: I, I I try to avoid solicitation. So I have not looked at what our December lineup is. I would not be surprised if we don't have a new Mutants in December, um, if 24 drops in January. Just simply because uh, I do believe this... Well, oh, wait, was this our December issue? No, this was... this had a release date of November 10th. And I think it came out a week behind due to shipping supply chain delays. This is our November release month issue. I would love there to be a one of those in between arc kind of calm down, like single issues, like everyone just kind of like resettling, like, you know, back on the island, like dealing Mm -hmm. with You know, what happened, kind of one of those just kind of like character focused single issue in between stories that X-Men is so good with that Claremont used to do all the time between his big
5: arcs. You know what we need? A baseball game. <laughs>
4: That's what we need a, an issue of good, They definitely can play animals. some baseball in there Some boys um, um, If we don't get But whether or not we get that I, I, I am looking forward to A, a fresh new arc um, Because I do believe Vita has been confirmed as the continuing Writer on New Mutants in the new year yes. um, Because all of those In the Destiny of X releases like We do not have Talent attached to all of those titles Only some of them, but I do believe Vita has been confirmed as being the writer on New Mutants in the new year Mm -hmm. uh, in the Destiny of X-era Docs 2. I hope so.
5: They really deserve it. Like just top-notch work. Like Vita has been so consistently good.
4: Look forward to them really kind of building from here. I think that they really established what in this first year what the mission and what the path forward is for both of these teams And, and I look forward to those stories rolling out um as they continue to move forward and this being the book about you know the older kids you know helping the younger kids but also Kind of like having to learn from them, your younger Gen Z group in in the Lost Club. Like there is there is a lot for the older ones to kind of see and be like, you know, who they should have been or are struggling to be that the kids are getting so much more naturally. And even that in in Danny's denial of Cosmar, like Danny's just you know assumption that like no 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 like you've got to bury this shit down and deal with it for twenty more years before you're allowed to go under <laughs> the crucible and be who you are. And Cosmar's like, no, I'm gonna be who I am now at fourteen like like that is exact like that is it
5: yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah i hadn't even caught that but you're so damn right that's 100 what beat doing
4: so i i, I love I, i'm looking forward to this really getting a chance to actually tell those stories because we've been this this has essentially just been one big opening arc laying the foundation for what this new mutants book is going to be and so i'm really excited for it actually being that moving forward
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now, I really loved this issue of S.W.O.R.D. and I really loved getting to talk a lot about the nature of WizKid as a character and how little we really have of this character and why it's so important the work that Al Ewing and the incredible team of artists that have been on this book have been doing because this character has less than 35 appearances for sure and that truly means we're not seeing enough of that representation. I also do discuss, just briefly in the course of this episode, that I do live with an invisible disability and it's something that certainly when I see the X-Men dive into, when I see the X-Men take a minute and recognize that not everybody is abled the same way, it's a transformative experience for me. Now, I know as a man who has the privilege of living with an invisible disability where I frequently am in remission and doing fine, it isn't a part of my everyday life the same way, but it really feels for me like Al Ewing is doing something that needs to be done. And so I'm personally very grateful and I loved being a part of this segment and we hope you guys love it as much as we enjoyed making it. And guys, we love making this show for you every week. So until next time, enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit. Keep those Krakoan gateways open. I'm Nico. You guys can find me at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram and we'll see ya. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels in space. Week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico and you guys can check me out on Twitter on instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n
2: hello i'm raven aka dane red bento you can find me on tiktok twitter uh instagram occasionally just find me somewhere come over start a conversation i love to talk
3: and i am jonah and you can follow me over on twitter and instagram at peak jonah that's p-e-a-k and we hope you survive this experience unlike how i hope that the orcas division that has been infiltrated will not survive.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty here to burn that down. Which, of course, means we're here to talk about the wonderful SWORD. I feel like you kind of at some point have to accept that it's spelled out like that. And I feel like we should just start calling the book SWORD, because when I look on Comicsology under SWORD, it's not there. It's way up <sighs> at the top. Do you know how often I'm like, did I not buy the most recent SWORD? Yeah. Anyway, we're here to discuss SWORD 10, Triple Threat by the incredible creative team of Al Ewing, who has been our writer through this entire amazing journey. Jacopo Kamini as the artist. And again, good gracious, if I have done anyone a disservice with their name, please just reach out to us on Twitter and we will be more than happy to not just correct it, but get it right every time in the future. We also have Fernando Cifuentes of Proto Bunker Studios on color art. Team favorite VCs Ariana Mar on letter and production, as well as Mm -hmm. Tom Muller on design. Now there's a special thanks to Abigail Johnson. Don't know who you are, but we want to thank Thank you too. Of course, Stefano Caselli and Hava Tattaglia are the cover artists as well as a pretty late in the game, Jonathan Hickman, head of X continuing title appearance. So okay, biggest thing I want to discuss. We said at issue nine, there's no way that WizKid isn't a triple agent. We knew he just had to be a good guy. How did everybody feel about this reveal that WizKid is worth our love?
2: Mm -hmm. It's complicated. It's, it's the only thing more. I can, it's the only thing. Like, I, of course he was going to be a triple agent. I mean, you could see that coming from, well, not so much a mile away. Like there was definitely a moment I'm like, no. And then I'm like, oh no, wait, let's take this over a little bit more. And the only reason you could sort of predict that he was going to be a triple agent is because of Abigail Brand. And she is, I love Abigail. Cause she's definitely not a hero. She is an anti-hero at best. She borderlines on being an anti-villain. So you knew like, okay double okay. and triple crosses are definitely in her wheelhouse and so like Wizkid might be great at technology but she is a master at strategy and the long con so like if he thought he was going to get past her with all of her safety double triple and you know quadruple protocols already in place yeah right she she would have she would have literally lit him on fire inside that chair like <laughs> i don't think he could have gotten past her in that particular regard but I'm like, wait, no, he's he's much more likely to work with her than try and work against her. Oh, 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 I bet I know what they're doing. But God damn, seriously, you're just welcome to the roller coaster. Now, Jonah, how did you feel
0: as a young engineer who has had interest, not just in the Krakoan era, but specifically this new opportunity for long forgotten characters?
3: So at the end of Sword 9, and while we were discussing it, we talked about how If they went about it that he that Takeshi was just a double agent, it would have been a little bit disappointing to have a character who is of a minority both racially and physically because he is you know physically disabled, uh, become a villain when there are aren't many opportunities for them to become the hero. And we also talked about well we have to see what happens because we can't just jump the gun and start flaming and start boycotting a title because we don't have all the information yet. We literally have no idea how the story is going to shake out, we only have a preconceived notion. So, seeing, as I'm reading the issue, in the back of my head, I'm only thing I can think of is, this is going to be a triple cross. And it is expected, yet relieving. I am happy for the story for a couple of reasons. I think it's a for a character in-universe of kind of getting out frustrations that he might not be able to talk about. He's fake-turning on the mutants, who kind of should be having his back more and not treating him poorly. He still experiences just discrimination within his own community, which I think a lot of marginalized people can, where you're not X uh, X enough, haha, X title, but you're not considered X enough of whatever minority that you are a group that you're a part of, where you'll have people tell you that you're not real, or you're not you're not doing things properly, or you might you don't experience the same things. It's very, I think, prevalent in a lot of marginalized communities. So I think that's something that not only a lot of readers can associate with, but feeling Takeshi be able to kind of reclaim a little bit of that anger and kind of get that out while also still being a hero and triple <laughs> triple crossing some uh, bad people of Orcus. It was really appreciated and I like this direction for the story because I don't know if that storytelling is often being able to be told and it's, re- it's actually really heavy topics I think if you get into what we can talk about with Takeshi for this issue so I'm pretty excited to see where this is going to continue to go. I think that he is now a little bit more of a fleshed out character that gives a lot more depth to why he acts the way he does. And I like that.
0: And I really love that you point out that you feel like you have a little bit more knowledge on WizKid because, hey, I gotta do my thing. I want to point out that WizKid only really has about 25 appearances in all. Now, his first four appearances are in Inferno, in the Inferno original crossover miniseries, Exterminators 1 through 4, where he was a member of, well, the Exterminators. He would go on to have several more appearances, and so from October 1988 through May of 1992 to Takeshi had 10 appearances. He would not appear again until January of 2012. He would have 4 appearances across the Avengers Academy and Avengers Arena titles before resurfacing in Sword Number 1 in February of 2021. Since then, he's had about 10 appearances. So, this is a character who people really care about and really connect with because of exactly what Jonah said. He creates the opportunity to see someone different, someone marginalized, in a series about marginalized peoples that is frequently about the prettiest, whitest marginalized peoples, and That's a really interesting take. So if you do want to know more about Takeshi and a lot of the earlier stories that shaped him, there actually was an Inferno Omnibus that contained a good number of these appearances. And just recently, an Inferno Omnibus prologue edition came out, which has the stuff that leads up into that. So you can get a pretty good sense of what was going on in the New Mutants around then, as well as what the actual extermination had to do with anything it's sort of an interesting miniseries that maybe doesn't contextualize well without what should go around it so if you do want to know more about early WizKid appearances you definitely want to check out those two titles as far as avengers academy and avengers arena he appears in issues 21 22 and 30 of avengers academy as well as avengers arena number 13 With the rest of his appearances being ones we've covered here on the show i think WizKid is really coming into his own as a dynamic new character who has a lot of exciting potential. When we think about a character who is not just differently abled, but is living a different life on Krakoa, we're often still thinking of very outwardly abled people such as Karma, and as somebody who has an invisible disability, who is outwardly abled, and recently had a flare-up while I was on vacation and wound up having to be in a wheelchair for half of my vacation. Ha! You know, it's really good to see. And it made me feel very happy. So I really enjoy the idea that not only are the X Men embracing characters who have been forgotten to time, but they're embracing them with the right mindset where people can see themselves in these characters. Now, I know that I am most of the time outwardly very abled. And for that, I am very grateful that I have everything in check very often. But seeing Takeshi's strength when I do have a situation where I'm not feeling so great it's one of those things where I'm like yeah I can do this too so you can ask Jonah I was just wheeling myself everywhere and I was like no I've got this No, and I you know it's that's the kind of thing that these stories can connect with so it's really uplifting to see that
2: so yeah like I one of the biggest reasons I I like Takeshi's character is not only he, he, I found out that he is twice disabled so not only does he have a, a T11 break from a long time ago that causes him to be in that the hover chair um, which is that's a very severe but very human type thing like he wasn't born um, a paraplegic he it was you know it was an accident and that caused his his mobility disability and that's something you don't see often amongst like X-Men and whatnot usually it's the oh you don't know I my brain is so great that I can only sit because I have to control everything else with my mind <coughs> Charles Xavier um.
0: okay just really really quick I used to think that he was bald because his brain powers fried his <laughs> hair out I just thought like he had like a psychic burst one day and it was split ends and then- <laughs> He had another psychic burst and it was patchy. And then he had one more and it was the crown thing. And then well, he was just
3: like, why? And then next thing
0: you know, just cue ball, motherfucker.
3: When Cassandra Nova is also coming out of the womb bald and she's bald the entire time we see her, I you have to think that it might be the psychic powers.
2: Well, I mean, come on, look at Lex Luthor, you know, all that smarts, no hair. I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, I just thought Cassandra was like Charles, so you know this is how it's supposed to be worn. I thought that was the whole reason she was bald yes
2: oh lord But yeah no it it's interesting to see somebody who has such a, an outward disability because you, we rarely actually get to see that um, especially on you know X-Men or mutant titles but beyond that he has dyslexia and it's acquired dyslexia uh, i just found out recently that apparently dis, like a good amount of dyslexic people think in 3d which is kind of why it makes them uh, have a, the disability of reading letters because their their brain wants to take letters and numbers and make those three dimensional as well instead of just reading them as a flat two dimensional piece of information so it, you know it takes it it flips it it tries to rotate it which causes problems with processing well Takashi has acquired dyslexia where he's great at putting you know junk together and making like you know turbine engines with you know little to no effort when it comes to like reading flat two dimensional information that cannot be rotated and manipulated to what he wants. Think of how much information you would have to read on a daily basis, especially if you're, you know, like on sword where you're reading, you know, information coming in from this, that, and all the other. Well, yeah, if you, if if your brain wants to make everything three dimensional, but you're trying to read two D information, that's just got to be a nightmare. So it's interesting to see dyslexia on top of you know uh, being a paraplegic, and it's just like, wow, he is he is a doubly disabled minority on so many levels like the disabilities, the fact that he is Asian, the fact that he is a mutant like he, whoa, he's he's in a lot of boxes and they're not the fun ones so it's, it's interesting to see because of how little representation we have given to disabled characters to begin with so yeah, it's a lot to take in
0: <laughs> One of the things I loved the most about this issue was perhaps the fill-in art which was so exciting in so many ways because I felt like this was watching a video game cutscene. This was bright and explosive and anytime you have two badass women of color fighting alongside badass bird women you're just, it's just so good (laughs) and I loved this. I just, I don't know. This fight sequence played out for me in so many ways, like the sort of dynamic badassery we've been asking for from Marvel, for Storm, and for Frenzy, and it felt exciting to get it all in one place. Now of course that does mean we got kind of like a two for one scene, Mm -hmm. but I felt it played out with such pacing deftness. I wouldn't have wanted it to run longer because I got the right amount from both parts of Storm's story here. Guys, Mm -hmm. how did you feel about Storm? I feel like we're not seeing her be challenged here. This is just
2: Storm doing a thing for a change. What? Storm doing her normal job instead of having going into the death arena yet again. It was nice to see and I oh, I just adore her new costume. It just, it was such a needed change and it looks so badass because she's literally manipulating like weather on an alien planet and she's, oh, she looks so good all the time. I just love it. But yeah. Uh, I, I I, did love seeing her coming in and doing what she normally does as, not just as a superhero but, you know, as a regent. She, she kicks a major ass. And then to get friends in on that as well, just
3: made me so happy to
2: see the both of them.
3: So in earlier Claremontian runs, we often joke that a lot of issues ended with and Storm summoned a lightning bolt and destroyed everything and the day was saved. (laughs) That's how a lot of stories ended. Storm, lightning bolted somebody, and then the enemy was defeated because of that, and everything before (laughs) that felt like preamble because it didn't matter. So, um, and this was before, you know, classifications of Omega level and what that meant storm was just a lot more powerful than other people mm-hmm. so getting in this moment seeing her be able to just kind of unleash not really have to hold back um and kind of just get to be the you know storm goddess that she is the, the weather witch that she's known as i just appreciate that i feel like as of recent we haven't got, seen storm be able to kind of go full force unleash power because the situation never really called for it mm-hmm. and the situations that do called for it storm isn't there storm is off doing other things storm is you know uh, i think at this point one of the most important x-men in history forever and ever not only in comics but out of comics so having her get be able to just show off her power and just to be the most amazing thing that i i love i love when Storm gets to kick some ass and i like when she gets to use her powers and she doesn't have to use depowered form not that you know hand-to-hand combat can't be fun but it, you know storm is cool and she has literally a myriad of things you can do with her you have the whole weather to choose from there are so many different kinds of weather um i wonder if i don't know if she has or if a, a writer slash creative team has done this before but like storm should be able to create a heat wave like let her let her do let her do crazy fun shit so being yeah seeing her she be totally able to do can that.
0: mess with temperature she totally totally
3: yeah she does it she's good at it. <laughs> she's temperamental <sighs> so i just want and like when she gets to be able to go unleashed and full full omega level so i'm appreciative of that
2: my brain. Mm. When you said, "Yeah, she should be able to take the temperature." No, no, because the temperature comes from the sun. So, so dro- dropping temperature is easier because you're you're manipulating things like wind and water that's in the atmosphere. So, dropping temperature easy. Do spiking temperature harder, but neither here nor there. <laughs>
0: well, don't forget, uh, storm can control space wind and and, and solar flare things and like oh, yeah, that's- water currents i think I yeah think she could really, probably do it <laughs> i think she could do anything um but <laughs> no all said and done i think the thing i love the most about storm is and no maybe this is certainly not the thing i love the most about storm but Let me take this back a step. A million zillion years ago, I got into some sort of weird, fake argument with a person on the internet where the person was saying that for all intents and purposes, people arguing about who should play Storm after Holly Berry is sort of pointless because what's the big deal? She's just a comic book character. And I said, you know, Storm is so many things to so many people and she's such a multifaceted, complex character. Character, it's really unfair to say that and, you know I remember even saying it as calmly as I could and I remember this, and I mean this, you know, friendly, but fellow white person coming back at me saying, are you trying to tell me you think a character from a comic book is as complex as any of the powerful, beautiful black women in the color purple? And I said, well, hold on. Now you're trying to compare really unrelated things. Storm has had thousands of appearances in comics and media. She is so many things to so many people that are so many different things. When you're talking about who can play Storm, you need to think about the version of Storm you're accessing or highlighting, because different people will play Storm differently. It's not to say that any other character is less complex or anything. It's that Storm has been a myriad of women over the last 50 years, and so it takes Makes a woman who can transformatively showcase a number of that myriad and i think sword is perhaps the most dynamically i've seen storm shift in and out of roles in a really long time
2: storm as a fictional character storm is honestly one of the most complex characters you could ever come across and to to do a lackluster job on casting somebody who can embody and portray All those different aspects of her, the motherly aspect, the goddess aspect, the witchy aspect, the the sexy, you know, empowered aspect, you know, the the leader, the mutant, the woman that she is, like she is an insanely complex character and she is no one thing. You have to have a very three-dimensional, if not four-dimensional person portraying her because she is so many things and she needs to be represented well because we've had such limited good representation of women of color, especially black women, especially African women. Like <laughs> for the longest time in media, you had three trope roles for black women and it was usually the the mammy trope where she was you know the maid or the nanny and just taking care of the kids or housework. Um, you had the the corner hooker because I can't tell you how many times you saw black women Women being portrayed as sex workers or you have the junkie like literally the crackhead and often the last two would meet up somewhere in the middle and that's really all you got to see represented as a, a black woman either on page or on the screen so yeah storm is a deeply complex character that is a lot of representation that we have not seen for a lot of people just say
0: <laughs> no and i mean like that's why i was just sitting here i'm like I have no valuable thing to add here. I, cause. You know, for way too long, white dudes have had way too much say in Storm. And I think, you know, it's just a really important time to kind of, like, sit back and listen. So, like, I'm just taking notes over here, you know? And that's, I think, one of the things that is so exciting for me about this book right now. I don't hear anybody saying, are we sure she can be our leader? She's a black woman. You're hearing alien species be like, are you sure she's your leader? That's just a mutant. Like... And for that reason, you know, there is sort of a suspension of disbelief in some ways. Sure. I think what Storm represents for me is sort of such an important thing, too. And hearing from, you know, your experience that getting to see Storm in this position and rise and showcase in complex ways, I, I, I it feels like a really powerful, good time to be a Storm fan. And... Speaking of people, it's a good time to be a fan of again. Okay, so I totally love the art on this issue, and I love the the fill-in art a lot. This is a really interesting rendition of Cable's face. It's perhaps a little Buzz Lightyear, but... I don't by any means hate it. I I'm still here for it. It's it's pretty sexy. Okay,
3: uh, so Cable, You're what's happening? Right?
0: I'm here for it. I love the idea that Cable trusts Wizkid. And part of that is because a number of Wizkid's earliest appearances are alongside the New Mutants in X-Force, and that's New Mutants annual number no. 7 and X-Force number no. 1, which were his final two appearances for a rather long time so getting to see him and cable the character that sort of perhaps is the reason there wasn't a whole lot of room for whiz kid over in the pages of x-force sorry about it, work together is really nice so i and i like daddy cable back you know i i loved kid cable uh, but daddy cable's a whole lot i guess easier to recognize as part of the x-verse How do you guys feel about the return of the original Old Man character? Because yeah, this is Old Man Cable, but I guess Old Man Cable is actually Cable Prime, whereas all the other Old Man characters are sort of like old manifying characters, I guess? I guess Kid Cable was sort of like chibbying Cable up.
3: Besides Nico talking to me about Cable, which if you don't know, isn't so much talking, but a lot of like loud noises and shaking going, CABLE! <laughs> oh. it's just saying "cable" and "cable" over and over again. So, <laughs>
0: and wildly waving cable figures and cable comics at you,
3: cable, and then like <laughs> yes. pointing at Yes, and it. also um, cable, makeshift cable uh, creations that we have also okay. made. Hold on, so here's what it is.
0: Okay, <clears throat> I have the Wolverine and Jean Grey build the bears. Okay, because I'm I'm a bear. That's what I do, right? And so there's X Men bears. Fuck yeah! And so I had this pooh bear that had like a particular. No, 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 hold
3: on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I got you this Pooh Bear that has a blue shirt.
0: And so I put a brown sash on him and I crumbled some tinfoil on his arm and he's Cubble.
3: We make do in our household for the things that... Marvel and other creators will not give us, nor will we commission. We will make ourselves with what we have. I'm here have. to
0: provide. I oh mean, my, God. my job is to give the people what they want. And the people being the
3: three of us in our bedroom. Right. I was about to say, anybody
2: ask for that? No. But did you do it anyway? Oh, yeah. Yes.
3: <laughs> so... Cable as a character though I don't actually know very well. I haven't I stopped before uh, as a baby he was born so (laughs) I don't know a lot of Cable stories so I'm not actually that familiar with Cable as a character so seeing him return might not have the same impact to me as somebody who might be a more longtime ex-fan who is a fan of Cable or even if you're not you still know who and what the character is and what they represent Mm -hmm. so we have Cable and I'm like cool he's cool and I like that he has to sit in a chair and he can't sit properly it's very on brand for queer people (laughs) not that I'm saying Cable is queer but (laughs) oh yes he is I don't know if you've ever noticed, but a lot of queer people just can't sit in chairs properly. It's very funny. And they don't do it on purpose. It's just that they can't sit properly. So seeing that form of representation, I'm like yes, thank you. I like that Cable is in this position of authority but doesn't know what to do about it. I felt like a lot of Cable stories are having are him fighting against authority or against, uh, fighting against oppression, especially after his uh clone twin strife is running around being camp as hell as Arturo likes to put it. Thanks, Arturo. I like that he's in a little bit more of a mellowed-out position where he still has a lot of control and power, but he kind of has a desk job right now where he's kind of just sitting there not doing much, and I like that he doesn't really know what to do about that. The betrayal from Takeshi doesn't really ring anything to me because I don't know about their prior relationship, but I did enjoy it. I actually, you know, you have to sell it. You have to sell the quote-unquote betrayal. You have people Mm -hmm. watching, and I like that moment a lot
2: definitely. I I kid cable was fun, but it was a lot of teenage angst where there did not need to be teenage angst. And I it I honestly started missing old man cable after a while because old man cable is a bit more self assured. He still has you know a lot of you know doubts and, and worries about doing the right thing and whatnot. But it wasn't the constant. Oh my god! I hope my daddy is okay. With, I hope my daddy's proud of me. I, my parents are proud of me i'm feel it's like oh my god stop just just stop like grow up literally please because i need old man cable who's a little bit grumpy and a little bit you know skeptical and yes still has some amount of of you know worry that he's doing the right thing at the right time but is at least a little bit more grown up about it but yeah, to 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 see Takashi do what he do best is like, oh no, poor Cable, he's broken. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, yeah, he he definitely sold it. And, I got and- to
3: explain that to you, you know, this <laughs> this holiday. It's my favorite yes. thing in the world.
2: I oh my god, when I saw that, I almost I almost died laughing because that's all my brain could think. I just I was laughing hysterically for a good five minutes at that. <laughs> But I do, I do kind of wonder now, you know, how, how that is going to play into the limited uh, Cable-Takashi relationship that we've seen. Because Cable did trust him, and Cable doesn't tend to trust people very easily. So to to have his uh, cybernetic parts lit up like that and put him out of commission, like, I don't think it was explained to him beforehand what was going on. So he can only now assume that Kashi has betrayed, you know, Sword and Mutant kind. And, and I don't know how, how well that's going to play out. So it's going to be interesting to see.
0: I think cable tends to be a pretty good, I, I, how do, I think cable's a pretty good sport about getting zatted in the face for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's because like in my dream world, he's like, you know, like a sub daddy. But like, I, I feel like Cable would be like very, you know, you did what you had to do. And like, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out this new adult Cable because let's face it, this is a Krakoan age Cable. So this Cable has a very different perspective and a very new energy, even if he is still the same old Cable, just as anybody else being translated to the new limitless Immortal era of the Krakowan ecosystem, he's no longer fighting against Apocalypse. His other, that thing he was trying to avoid, bye bye, his family, that thing that always brought him so much drama, it's totally fine. The on off again relationship he had with a fellow mercenary who was also interested in the betterment of mutant kind in the form of Domino, sort of off the table at the moment. So a lot of the narratives that have recently driven Cable in the last couple of runs are sort of off the table. Bishop's a good guy. Strife recently died. There's nothing pushing him outside of maybe a reconnection with Hope that... I see coming from his earlier stories at the moment. So, I'm excited about who this new Cable could be. If this new Cable could maybe take a hint from Brothor and maybe be a little bit more chill, but still have the gun messiah thing going, I'd be there for it. I just sort of worry about the ability of another character in that vein of the way we say that sometimes the Percy Wolverine narrative doesn't always seem to line up with the rest of the cohen era it's a little bit the world is too dark for me in a way that i I don't
2: know that we need a cable in that same wolverine column (laughs) right i I totally feel you on that it's like wow i i I thought a a certain flying mammal was the broodiest of the broodiest and boy wolverine at times really guns for that position so yeah i don't know if we would need cable daddy (laughs) to to step in and go no i can brood even harder than that no, no, let's 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 have him be a little bit more chilled. Yeah, which hopefully he will be. And and I don't know. Let's just see more of him. And
0: I think putting him with Storm is actually a really great choice. And here's the
2: thing: there is a
0: little pushed, rarely used, mostly underappreciated romance between Storm and Cable from the nineties. It was a little bit here and there, but I think they're pretty. I think they're pretty hot together. I think that they both have an understanding of what it takes because for all. The things Storm is, Cable actually was raised in a world where he was treated the same. He was a messiah of the Ascani people, who was the only one to be able to rise up against the great menace of the world conquering apocalypse. So it really would be a man who knows what it would take to stand by Storm. Cable's not particularly interested in being the messiah himself these days, but rather would be able to provide her the kind of support that she needs in a time like this, where her transition to power is what's going. Going to set her agenda as the first regent to Mars. And at this point, I just need Joey Lucas to come in and do some polling for me because, you know, I'm, I'm pushing this particularly hard. But I do think the realistic potential of an Aurora Nathan relationship is one that would be mutually beneficial for both of them because it would allow two characters who have difficulty letting other people in due to the cost and weight of who they are to surrender those needs to one another and find comfort. And that's what I would really like for both of these characters going forward in this great Krakoan age. All I
2: can say to that is hot. Oh my god, and yes you're absolutely right like that would be amazing to see both of them as characters have somebody that they can just relax and be for lack of uh, for lack of better wording be very human together and just just relax and be and enjoy each other's company like I am so all for that because some of her other relationships I have not enjoyed nearly as much because it just seems not forced but like it like it has an alternate agenda Like it has to be. Oh well, you're now the queen of something, so here's more responsibility. But you know, you don't actually get to breathe and relax and and put down that weight. And I think that would be really nice to see both of these characters be able to do that. And I think they are they are similar enough that they would understand the need to just literally put down all of the work stuff and all of the the other responsibilities, just put it down for like a couple of hours and just relax and be in each other's company. and just you know chill maybe have a drink talk you know do what you want to do without the expectations of there being something more a kingdom to save or (laughs) a people to uh, you know help rise up against the great threat or whatever so yeah it'd be nice to see that also super hot
0: and i kind of wonder how more people don't go hey they've both got glowy eyes (laughs) they've both got zappy powers (laughs) They've both got the white hair. (laughs) They've both been revered as gods. I think it's time to accept they should just make real cool mutant chimera beads. And I just think that's where we're headed, you know? And I think it would be...
2: No babies needed, just bone. (laughs) Jonah, what are your
0: thoughts on Storm and Cable and my interest in them as a pair?
3: Well, the way you were talking about it reminded me of the way that people pair Betsy and Warren together and that they're a couple that in all essence seem to make sense since they would have a lot of understanding of one another and they can reliably rely on one another since they probably have very similar things in common. So I'm all for it. I always think you can add romance. I think romance does, you know, spice things up. And uh, I think, let let me take that back for a second. I think romance can spice things up when it is not a the only thing you give to a character a character should not be defined by their romances or lack thereof mm-hmm. uh and two it has to you know feel refreshing i think a lot of x fans might be tired of a lot of the similar x couple tropes that they go through between like scott wolverine and gene yeah ha- it's a lot of will they won't theys that people are generally i see getting getting tired of not say that people are tired of that relationship right now because they Mm. are very clearly polyamorous and together all three of them but more so making sure that romance doesn't feel like that's your only story in a title Mm -hmm. where it's not needed you can have a romance book there's nothing wrong with that but make sure that's the title and that's what people are expecting don't just add romance where it's not needed and you're not doing anything else with it
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely 100
3: so that
0: kind of brings us to the uh, unmissable last part small though it were Abigail Brand comes in with that specific vertigree of smarm. And it's her love of Pim particle technology. Now, I'm far from a Hank Pim apologist. I think he should be knocked around with a big old bat. But mm-hmm. I love me some Nadia, pretty obsessively. She's phenomenal. Terrific character. Excellent addition to the Marvel stable in the last 10 years years big shout out to exes for podcast contributor dr matt connor for his incredible contributions to both our show and the history of the character big excellent job there making sure that mental health was handled uh with the proper attention and finesse it requires and of course if you don't like janet van dyne you can't be on the show so i love any reference to pim particles but i you know i i just want to just go And blow Abigail away right now. I just like... She's always got some little shitty trick up her sleeve... And you know what? I'm just starting to think she's Xavier in a green wig.
2: Why do you think I called her an anti-villain? Yeah. She's just so close to being there.
0: She is super dastardly and I just don't know whose interest she has at heart ever. And I know that's the magic of the character, right? Mm. And that's sort of why we love a mystique. That's why we love a... Sometimes we love a... An Emma Frost. You know what I mean? We're just Mm -hmm. not sure what it is they want. But I think... What we love about Mystique and Emma Frost is we know they'll always give you their all. I don't know that Abigail Brand has ever given anybody everything. So it's really hard for me to just readily accept that she truly has mutant's best interest at heart. I do believe, however, Abigail Brand will be taking the credit for whatever <laughs> good things come out of this. How do you guys feel about this breathtaking infiltration? Oh, speaking of things I want to b- like blow away and swat to death, if Gyrick could just stop a Appearing in books, I would be so much happier.
2: Eject him.
0: I just, I have hated this character since childhood. Mm -hmm. And that actually makes him a great villain. That Mm -hmm. I've grown up thinking that this guy is like heir apparent Strom Thurmond. Like, (laughs) I'm like, oh look, it's Trent Lott with a mullet. You know what I mean? Like, so, (laughs) I get it. (sighs) But like, I hate this character. And I... I don't know as much as abigail brand has me itchy about because she's just another fucking beast up in this like it's Mm. terrible but as much as i can't stand abigail brand if she could do something that humbles gyrick real real good that would be real cute
2: eject him out the nearest airlock into the depth of space aimed at the heart of a dark star like serious it's i i love to hate him so freaking much because he is an awful villain he is just he is everything wrong with the world slash universe like oh my god but as it goes for abigail brand (laughs) abigail brand is about abigail brand in the end like yeah she might make it seem like she's there to help mutants move into space and you know she's thinking about the intergalactic causes and whatnot no no abigail brand is about abigail brand and what abigail brand wants is good things for abigail brand and she might do some rather dastardly things to, to get
3: there just saying I am personally ready for Gyric to be kicked in the balls. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they should do. The... No, never mind. I was going to say something gross and I don't I, I care to do not it. repeat it. Nope. I was going to say they should do what everybody thought Ant Man should do <laughs> when there were theories and have her gum up Gyric's butt and then just expand and then he would die and explode. And... I think it's really sensitive that you chose to <laughs> censor it with butt. Yeah, that was the part I was worried about. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, I think, satisfying seeing who we are told the villains are be, you know, get their comeuppets. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there are some villains that you're like, oh, okay, I can kind of agree with. You can kind of agree with the Brotherhood of mu- of Evil Mutants, even though their name says evil in them. At times, you're like, well, they're not really wrong. You look at Mystique at some of the stuff she does, and you're like, well, you can't really fault her. You look at some if, of the stuff. That- if I
0: may, they dropped evil in like 2003. They're just the Brotherhood of Mutants now. They would like you to get that out of your lexicon. they've updated it so so should you and if i may a double time mystique's group was called freedom force how can't you support something about freedom that also uses
3: force i think it's impossible not to support something called freedom force well, yes, and that that's my point. It's, you know, history is off, is told from the winner's perspective, but, which I guess maybe makes sense for all these X titles. <laughs> <laughs> um, puts a lot of different things in perspective. But more importantly... There are some times when you're told a villain where you're like, okay, you kind of get it. And I like those villains or groups where you're like, okay, you can maybe see their points at times. I don't know if there's anything redeemable about what Orcus does, because their whole goal is to eradicate mutants for no particular reason.
2: When have racists ever needed a reason, though?
3: Very fair and very true. They don't need the reason. And that's, you know, also part of the point where some of them, I imagine, are just on because they just want to get their hate out uh which is you know gross and weird and wrong but more it's also the sense of you can do bad things to Orcus because there's nothing really redeemable about them what exactly could Orcus do or say that you can be like oh i kind of get their point no there's really nothing there so i'm ready for like Orcus to have their ass handed to them again like in (laughs) house of x where they destroyed the mother mold and they were like look at us now you thought we died uh uh so i'm ready for that again
0: and i think with inferno raging in the background to bring up the new Inferno. I think we are kind of faced with Orcus and a certain amount of the bigger picture of anti-mutant agenda is coming to the forefront of our storytelling and I wonder if Sword is going to go in a dramatically new direction. I think there's room for it to grow and to transform and so for that reason, I'm personally pretty excited, especially considering the Destiny of X lineup doesn't include Include sword as a title, so that tells us that whatever's going on with sword is pretty significant for its own intrinsic purposes.